Proverbs chapter number 25. I'd like to read just one verse tonight and then we'll pray. And I've got a few simple thoughts to share with you. I don't know if it'll be a lengthy sermon. Uh, most of the time when I say it won't be, it is. So let's just say we'll wait and see. Amen. And uh, But we want to mind the Lord tonight. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse number 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be in the house of God, Lord. Thank you for how you've worked already in our hearts and in our minds and in our midst this week, Lord. We are, are so mindful, Lord, to thank you for what you've already done, Lord. We A couple weeks ago, we had one saved, and we rejoice in that. But, Lord, even this past Sunday, you were working in the heart of one that was here, and it took no less of a miracle for you to work in that individual's heart than it did for the one that you saved by your grace, Lord. And I'm praying for that individual, uh, that they would bow head and heart before you, Lord, that they'd receive you as Lord and Savior, that they'd be eternally saved and that their life would be transformed. But Lord, also my mind is arrested back to this moment, this time, the people that are gathered here, because we've come needing to hear from you, Lord. We, we need to, you to speak to our hearts and our minds. We need your will to, to have the supremacy in, in our life and above our will. And, and Lord, we just, we need a touch from heaven tonight. Uh, we need to hear from you, Lord. And I pray that in all that's done tonight, you'd receive the glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll read to you once more our text. It's just one verse tonight. and I want to take a few moments and think about uh, what the wisest man other than the Lord Jesus that ever lived uh, had to say about uh, discipline, about a man's control over himself. The Bible says in verse 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You know, we're living in a day today where men, just by and large, do not have control over their own spirits. Uh, when we look around at a world that is seemingly always on fire, filled with anger, filled with rage, filled with violence everywhere we turn, one of the things that, that is on short supply is self-control. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you tonight, I'm glad in the New Testament, in this dispensation, we have more than just self-control, we have spiritual control, Amen. Uh, but it does not negate the fact that you and I, as children of God, have a responsibility to not allow our emotions and our disposition and our spirit to dictate our behavior unto us. I think very often when we look at people that we would consider to be emotionally driven, and by that I don't just mean that they are simply you know, animated in the way that they behave or expressive in the way that they talk, but I mean people who allow their emotions to determine how they're going to behave. I think when we look at people like that, we often view them as a menace. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around people that don't have control of themselves. Amen? I'm just going to say it again until you help me preach. I don't like to be around people that don't have control of themselves. People that are out of control. But let me say, you know, beyond that, not only are they hurting themselves or others, but they're hurting themselves as well. It's one of the most dangerous and destructive things that you can do in your life to make your emotions, your disposition, the master of your behavior and the way that you conduct yourself. I want you to notice a few things tonight. We're going to get into a little bit of a message here in a moment. But let's just define some terms and let's just break down this verse and consider what's being said here. Let me say, number one, a word about this phrase, rule over his own spirit. What exactly does that mean? He that hath no rule over his own spirit. 
Now, the word spirit can be used in a number of ways in the word of God. Sometimes spirit can be used in a generic sense, referring to the life of man. The fact that he is not only sentient, but has a soul and is above simply animal life and plant life. And let me just say, I don't know why, but I'm going to say it anyway. I believe we're more than animals. I believe we are created in the image of God. I don't just believe we're highly evolved animals. I don't believe anything about mankind is evolving. I believe it's all devolving because of sin's brokenness and curse. But I believe we are of a higher order and a higher created state than what animals are. And sometimes the word spirit can be used to denote that idea. The idea that we are proprietary, unique concerning our creation, our existence, and our awareness. And then in the New Testament, often the word spirit refers to that part of a man that interacts with God. And what we mean by that is not just the soul, meaning your psyche or your consciousness, but rather that part of you that when the Spirit of God speaks to you, that can sense and discern God dealing with your heart. But you see, when a person is lost, their spirit, though it exists, is dead within them. The Bible teaches that we are in our lost condition spiritually dead. That's why a lost person cannot have a relationship with God apart from having new life given unto them. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you hath he quickened. The word quicken means to be made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? To be spiritually dead. It means to have no means, to not have the tools wherewith to have a living, vibrant, and effective and meaningful relationship with God. One of the things that we find when we study our Bible is that this matter of being quickened, this matter of having life imparted to us, is a distinctly New Testament concept. The Bible says that uh, to many, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believed on his name. In the Old Testament, believers had righteousness imputed, meaning reckoned to them. They were regarded as righteous because of their faith in Christ. But they were not spiritually awakened through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the regeneration of their spiritual state. That's a holy New Testament concept. Now you say, preacher, why does this matter? Well, because if we're not careful, we'll interpret the Proverbs 25, 28 as being us having mastery over our own spiritual condition in regards to our relationship with God. But I got news for you. In the New Testament, it's not a matter of me dominating or subjugating my spirit, but rather it's about the Holy Ghost of God subjugating my spirit through his leadership. So when it speaks about the spirit in Proverbs 25, 28, it's not just talking about the life of man. It's not uh, just talking about the spiritual awareness of man. And so what does that leave us with? Well, oftentimes the word spirit can be used to refer to a man's disposition. Uh, we might use this term, attitude. Any of your kids got attitude? Attitude. Uh, my parents said, yep. <laughs> attitude. And, and you pray for him because my brother and sister are out of control. Um, attitude, a person's demeanor. Let me give you another good Bible word that reflects this idea, and it's the word countenance. You remember in the Old Testament, whenever Cain brought his offering to the Lord, and uh, the Lord uh, told him that he would not accept it, and, and the Bible says that Cain was wroth, and the Lord said, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? has to do with attitude, with disposition. has to do with that look across your kid's face for that split second whenever their attitude turns sour before their, their sense catches up with them. And you get just that flash, just that look across their face, and you can see an anger, a rebellion, a willfulness. Can I tell you something? Even if you're born again, you still got that within you. We've all got it within us, man. 
If you don't think so, next time that you are driving by and somebody gets pulled over by the cops and you stop and slow down to rubberneck at them, don't act like you don't, because I've drove behind some of you people. Uh, whenever you look, don't just look to see if you recognize that person so that you can Facebook about it and embarrass them. Also look and notice the look on their face. Man, it don't matter if they're 35 or 55 or 85 or 105. They've all got that same look on their face. You say, what is that, preacher? That's willfulness. That's the spirit or disposition of a man when it is out of joint, when it is wrong, when it is rebellious, when it is willful, when it is defiant. And can I tell you something? I don't care who you are. I, I, listen, I, I pastored now longer than I was a youth pastor, and I've learned this. Uh, people don't quit being rebellious just because they grow up. Rebellion, hey, listen, it ain't just bound within the heart of a child. If it's not driven far from them, it'll live on into adulthood as well. So when we talk about ruling over your spirit, we're talking about your disposition, your countenance, meaning more than just your appearance, but rather your attitude. Now, what does it mean to have rule over your own spirit? Well, I would say that it regards three things. Number one, basically, fundamentally, it has to do with discipline. Listen, having rule over your own spirit don't mean you don't feel like getting out of sorts. It means that you feeling like getting out of sorts is not enough to make you get out of sorts. It's a matter of having discipline over your own self. We live in a world where impulse, where inclination, where intuition is what drives everything around us. It's part of the reason we are made so easy prey to marketing in the days that we live in. Is because these people have learned through their psychological alchemy that if they can just put the right images in front of people, they can induce in them a, a certain desire or impulse towards certain things. And because we ain't got no control over our spirit, we're made easy prey to that. When we learn how to have control over our own spirit, it keeps us from being easy prey to those things. You say, preacher, can't they make you want those things? Well, they can make me want those things, but if I decide that what I want does not decide what I get then I have stopped short of what the devil would seek to do in subjugating my life. So it has to do with discipline. It has to do with what goes on within us and mastering that and having control over that. Let me tell you, it ain't always going to feel good to act like a Christian. Doing the right thing is not always going to feel like the right thing. That's why we've got to get in our Bible and let it dictate and determine how we live. Because there's going to be plenty of times that your flesh validates that which is against the truth of God. We have to decide and determine who gets to who gets to rule and run us. So it deals with discipline, what goes on within. And then it manifests basically in two ways. Number one, it manifests in discernment. What is discernment? It's funny. You know, in the New Testament, Paul talks about the gift of discernment. And some folks then think they shouldn't have any unless it's supernaturally given to them. Can I tell you, it's true there's some people have a gift of discernment. It's also true that some people have a, a, a famine of discernment. You may say, well, preacher, I don't know if it's my gift. Well, if you can learn to have discernment that is cultivated by, by familiarity with the Word of God, you'll find it will be a gift to you regardless of how God has equipped you to minister within the New Testament church. You need discernment whether you've got it or not. You need to get it. What is discernment? Discernment regards what is permitted to enter our life. In other words, there's certain things I'm not going to partake in. There's certain things I'm not going to watch. There's certain things I'm not going to listen to. There's certain people I'm not going to let have an influence and, and, a, and a voice in my life because I highly regard the things that enter into the sphere of my experience. 
Now, of course, we could talk about this in regards to the physical body, and that's true. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, but no less so is our spirit in regards to how God deals with us internally. In other words, it's not just tangible physical things, what we eat and what we consume, but it's also the things that we see and hear and experience and the people we allow to have a voice of influence with us. All that has to do with discernment. And the sooner we recognize that what we let in, hey, trash in our life, trash will come out of our life. We allow the wrong things in, it's going to bring the wrong things out. And that's the second aspect. We see discernment here. That's what's permitted to enter. But then it bears to a third thing, and that's discretion. Now, what is discretion? Discretion is what is permitted to exit our life. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, if discernment has to do with what do I allow to influence me, then discretion has to do with how I allow me to influence others around me. Let me tell you something. There's some things don't need to be said. I don't know what y'all are thinking about, but you're probably right. I hope you got enough about you that you're thinking about something you said and not something somebody else said. There's some things don't need to be said. There's some places we don't need to go. Uh, There's some things we don't need to do. We live in a world that has deified the idea of, of eclectic experience. Can I tell you something? There are some things that you don't need to have a part in. That you don't need to see, that you don't need to experience, that you don't need to, places you don't need to go. You say, preacher, how do you know that? We'll talk to some people that have been there that know God, and they'll tell you they wish they had never gone. We ought to have some discretion about us. So rule over our own spirit. It fundamentally means discipline. And it regards discernment, what is permitted to enter our life, and discretion, what is permitted to exit our life, or how our life affects others. Now, what does our text say? He that hath no rule over his own spirit, has no discipline, has no discernment, has no discretion. Here's what the wisest man, other than the Lord Jesus, here's what he said that that man's like. He's like a city that is broken down and without walls. So in other words, there are two aspects in a person of this condition. There is, number one, an inward aspect. He's like a broken down city. And then number two, there is an outward aspect. He's like a broken down city that is without walls. I'm fascinated to study through the book of Proverbs and see all these metaphors and similes and things that are presented to us. And so I want us to notice just five simple things in our text tonight as we just simply think, just think about what this means to be a broken down city, a city with no walls around it. And here's what happens when you let your emotions run your life, when you let your attitude run your life, when you let your impulses dictate the way that you behave instead of the spirit of God. If we were to happen upon a broken down city, and I don't know who exactly Solomon had in mind, what place whenever he thought of this, undoubtedly he had seen many cities that had been uh, laid low and had been raised to the ground. And, And it's almost as though he's sitting thinking about this city that has been laid waste to and thinking about a man that has no mastery of his own own self, of his own attitude, and he he sees some things that are similar one to another. Let me say, number one, a broken down city without walls is a defeated place. Notice the Bible doesn't merely say that it dilapidated. The Bible does not merely say that it fell into disrepair. The Bible says that it is a broken down city, denoting deliberate, conscious, active oppression and destruction of this place. 
You know what it says to the world, to your family, to your church, to people around you, to lost sinners? You know what it tells them whenever we have no mastery of our own self? It tells them we are a defeated Christian. If you were to happen upon a city like this, there'd be two things you'd first notice. One, you would notice the history of that city. If you found it in that condition, you'd realize that there was someone stronger, bigger, badder, mightier than the people that lived there that came and subjugated that place. You know why a person has no mastery over his own spirit? is because his spirit has mastery over him. When you don't have control of your flesh, your flesh has control of you. There is a struggle within all of us at all times that are born again between the old man and the new man. And the question is not how can we reach an an uneasy peace accord one with another. That's not the case. One of those two entities and, 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 and forces is going to rule and govern your life. And when you find somebody that cannot control their temper, their disposition, when they'll say anything that happens to float through their mind, what it suggests is this, that their flesh has gained the mastery over them. So there's a history in that city. But then I notice there's a legacy in that city. Whenever people walk by, they're not going to talk about the glorious things that used to be built there. And you know, this is true. I bet you, have you ever met an obnoxious person in your life? Why are y'all looking at me like that? Like in the mirror? Yeah. Have you ever noticed that you never noticed anything about them except that they're obnoxious? You don't talk about the good heartedness of them if they are good hearted. You don't talk about. Have you ever met somebody that was rude and you don't really notice anything about them, but they're rude? And, you know, the sad reality is a lot of the people that live that way call themselves Christians. And when you walk away, you don't think, now I've met a Christian. You think, well, I've met a rude person. When you walk away, you don't think, well, I've met a Christian. You think, well, I've met a bully. When you walk away, you don't think, well, I've met a Christian. You think, I've met a prideful person. You see, the truth is, a broken down city, it does not matter what it used to be. All that matters is what it is. And what it is, is a broken down city. Until it's rebuilt... That legacy will forever stain any perspective towards it. It's part of the things that does the greatest damage to the testimony of Christ. Because like it or not, when people want to reject Christ, they're going to take all the worst things about your Christianity and use it as an excuse and as a reason to turn away Christ. And you say, well, preacher, I can't I can't help them doing that. No, you can't help them, but you can do your best to stop them. And you say, how can I do that? By doing your best to not give them anything. Hey, it ought to be they have to lie about us. It's what they had to do to Daniel. They had to lie about him because there wasn't nothing they could say about him. Hey, it's what they had to do about the Lord Jesus. They had to lie about him. That's why Peter said, if any of you suffer, let him not suffer as as an evildoer. Uh, uh, Let us suffer for righteousness sake. But the sad truth is, man, so oftentimes we give the devil the ammunition that he needs by acting in a way that is foolish and that is shameful to the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, you, you ever notice that the devil, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's not called the slanderer of the brethren, Brother Charlie. He's called the accuser. You know why? Because most of the time we give him plenty to accuse us over. It leaves a legacy, a, a bad taste, a bitter story behind. So it is a defeated place. Let me say number two, not only is a broken down city without walls a defeated place, but it is of necessity a dysfunctional place. What does it mean for a city to be broken down? Well, just hold on a little while. You'll get to find out in this country. Amen. There are some cities that are already there. 
there are places you could go where just basic fundamental services of government. I'm talking about small things. I'm not talking about they're not providing, you know, like mopeds for everybody. I'm talking about they can't even keep the lights on. And when you think about a city breaking down, uh, what that denotes is a place that is no longer functioning in the way that it's supposed to be. That's what dysfunctional means. It means not functioning in an appropriate or proper way. You know, the sad truth is a Christian is not functioning properly if we don't have mastery over our attitude. If we don't have our spirit under control, we're not functioning the way that God wants us to. Notice two things about a dysfunctional place. Uh, number one, it would be a place that was no longer fruitful. Again, we're starting to see this happen in, in our country. We're starting to see places where people are moving out of, they're abandoning places because there is no justice, there's no protection, there's no safety. The economic underpinnings of those cities are falling out from under them. Bankruptcy en masse is happening in a lot of states uh, across our country. And what happens when that happens? Well, people leave because you no longer have the things that are necessary to have a productive life. You know, in your life, if you can't master your attitude, you're not going to bear fruit for the glory of God. Because any fruit that you bear, you know, we're doing our garden right now, and um, or, I, or our gardens got us, I don't know. But um, we've not had hardly any rain lately, and we've started getting some of that uh, blossom end rot on our tomatoes. If you don't garden, you don't probably don't know what that is. But it, it's basically a deficiency of calcium. And you'll have this tomato, and it'll be beautiful. I mean, you'll see it from a little bit of a distance. It'll be beautiful. It'll be well-formed. Everything will be exactly what it ought to be. And you'll get up, and you'll take and, and cut that tomato off and turn it over. And the whole bottom side where that thing has, has finished growing will be completely rotted. And it has to do with it not getting enough calcium there at the end as it ripens. And here's this beautiful tomato that you pick up expecting that it's going to be what it presents as. And you flip it over, and all you notice is that rotten, corrupt spot within it. And what should have been fruitful gets tossed over into the field and disregarded. You know, that's that's the truth of our life. When we don't have our attitude under control, it don't matter what we do for God when we do it with a nasty spirit. It don't matter what we do for God if we do it with a cynicism. It don't matter what we do for God if we do it with pride. You say, but preacher, I'm fruitful. But how much of that fruit is God throwing over into the field? Because when he flips it over, he sees that nasty corruption. Of a bad spirit. We're no longer fruitful. But then I would say this a dysfunctional city is not only no longer fruitful, but it's no longer a peaceful place. It's a place where people won't stay because they cannot be guaranteed safety and security. I, I, I was raised in Tennessee. I've been blessed to be that way. And um, I, I can't even fathom. I watch news reports and I've done a little bit of traveling. But when we travel, we stay away from blue cities. We do. We, tra we travel, we, we plan our route to go around blue cities. And, um, and we try to stay in nice parts of town. We'll, we'll get, we'll look on the crime maps to find out where the crime is. And wherever the crime is, that's where the Webbers will not be. We will be somewhere else. Let me tell you something, that works everywhere but Little Rock. Do you know why? Because the nice part of Little Rock is a dump. That's why. Some of y'all from Little Rock? Did you hear how quiet they got? They got scary, didn't it? it only Seth has a reason to be angry at that. And he's laughing because he's been there. It's true. The nice part of Little Rock is like my foot. It's horrible. And um, 
it's a terrible, terrible place. You have no reason to go there. Uh, but, but, you know, we'll go and we'll, we'll, you know why we avoid those places? Man, we don't want to be someplace that's dangerous. We don't want to be someplace where, where uh, an out of control society we are going to fall victim and pray to. You know, the truth is when you don't have your disposition and attitude under control, you'll have no peace in your life. I've known people who were addicted to, to drama, to rage, to noise, to racket. I've known people who could not be content unless it was like a hurricane was blowing through their life all the time. And you know why? It was usually because they didn't have control over their own spirit. Rarely was it because other people were bringing that in. Most of the time, it's because they were the ones creating it. And, you know, it's a dysfunctional place. Man, we'll be a dysfunctional Christian. But then I thought about this. A broken down city without walls is a defenseless place. This sort of goes hand in glove with what we just said. Why is it no longer peaceful? Why will people no longer seek refuge there? Well, because there is no guarantee of safety and there is no guarantee of justice. A city that is broken down like this, all manner of law enforcement, all manner of security has gone by the wayside. And so that denotes two problems. One, it denotes that they cannot subdue the enemy even that is within their gates. Uh, one of the dangerous things about a lot of these cities when they begin to collapse is not that somebody's going to roll in with tanks and with mortars, but it's that crime, that corruption, that danger and death springs up within those places. And oftentimes the seedy elements of society are allowed to run loose. We're seeing it all over our country now today where people are refusing to prosecute crime, refusing to arrest people that have committed crime. I wonder what that'll do. Well, I bet it'll cause people to commit more crime, don't you think? What's happening in those cities? They're fleeing those places. Why? Because the enemy within can't be subdued. They all want you to think it's everybody from everywhere else coming in and bringing guns in and bringing crime in. But it's not. It's the people within those places that are doing that. They can't subdue the enemy within. And you know the fact is, until you learn to master your disposition, your flesh is always going to dominate you. Uh, we're, we're very complex creatures, or we like to imagine we are at least. And very often, somebody that has a problem with mastering their own spirit will have other areas of their life that they would like to see strides made in. But often they will, they will develop a blind spot regarding their own spirit and attitude and disposition and behavior. But they'll have other things that they want to make strides in, and they'll find themselves perpetually discouraged and defeated in that pursuit. You know why? Because until you can get your flesh in check, nothing else is going to be right about your life. You say, but preacher, I can accomplish great things. Not when you can't. Hey, we, we have we have a similarity to this. You know, in the New Testament, the Bible says that, that a pastor ought to have his home under control. And you know what the theory behind that is? How can he rule the house of God when he can't rule his own home? Well, does that not have an application to our life as well? How are we going to rule the other things in our life if we can't even get our flesh under control? We can't subdue the enemy within, but not only that, we can't stop the enemy without. It's a place without walls. I know this is not popular to say, but, you know, walls are part of society. Borders are part of society. Every other nation in the world is allowed to have things like borders. Some of them even got walls. Some of them that don't want us to build walls got walls. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? Well, I'm saying this. The reason you build a wall is a wall works. It keeps the enemy out. The fact of the matter is, when you have no control, no mastery over your own self, you know what you've done? You flung the gates open wide to Satan's advances in your life. 
Oh, man. I tell you, you get someone off balance, you get them back on their heels, and it don't take much, does it? It doesn't take much to get the upper hand over them. And when the devil can get us out of control in our spirit, he has a smorgasbord of options to wreck our life. He can destroy our relationships. He can wreck our testimony. He can wreck the testimony of Christ in the eyes of others through doing that. He can blow up those that we might reach with the gospel. He can blow up those relationships. I mean, time would fail us to list all the ways when we don't master our own spirit that the devil gets the upper hand. We're a defenseless place. Not only that, it's a dangerous place. Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher, you've already said that. Well, I, yeah, but here's what I mean by that. A broken down city, I, I would say, number one, it is a place of broken paths. Oftentimes the, the roadways will be, will be busted up and the infrastructure will be laid down. And it's a place where people have to be careful where they walk or else they'll twist an ankle or else they'll have something fall on top of them. Let me tell you, don't be surprised. If you can't master your own spirit, your own attitude, don't be surprised when people start avoiding your paths because they don't want to walk on eggshells. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. Ain't none of us so important that people will tolerate a nasty attitude for long. Eventually, you know what they'll do? They'll just stop being around us. They'll start avoiding us. It's amazing the narcissism that can live within the human heart and disposition. And I've known people for years. And by the way, nobody predicated this message except the Lord. Amen. So uh, if you've got somebody in mind, don't tell me their name because I'm not interested. But (laughs) I'm not making house calls with this one. I'm just preaching what the Lord laid on my heart. But but it's amazing to me the level of denial and narcissism that can live in a person. I've known people who were constantly at the heart and center of controversy but could never figure out why. I'm going to say that again. Always at the heart and center of controversy, but could never figure out why. You know, it's a very simple equation. Most of the time, and listen, we all probably have more drama around us than we wish we did. But most of the time, if it's always around us, it probably is always us. Ooh, that hurt me too. Don't get mad at me. That hurt me too. So what are you getting at, preacher? Well, I'm saying people will eventually start avoiding those broken paths. Uh, there's already parts of this city I won't take my car on. Because they won't fix the roads. I don't know what they do with their tax money around here. But they just refuse to fix the roads. So what happens? People start to avoid it. It becomes a dangerous place, a place of broken paths. It also becomes a place of bandits. A place where those that thrive in that environment will find refuge and home. You know something you're going to find? Drama begets Drama. You know what dramatic people love? They love drama. You know what drama loves? Drama loves dramatic people. Can I tell you something I've always loved about our church? Is people, for the most part, and I can't vouch for this for every single part, but people come here to go to church. That's why they came here. They didn't come here for my drama. They didn't come here for your drama. It's not what they're interested in. I can tell you story after story of examples of this, but but one of the reasons, and I'm not going to say our church is immune to problems or immune to things like church splits or, or this or that or whatever. As soon as I say it, it'll happen. Not because I believe in jinxes or knocking on wood, but because sometimes the Lord does humble us that way. But, you know, part of the reason we've not had to deal with that is because it cannot thrive in a place that's all about Jesus Christ and not about people's personalities. But also it can't thrive and grow in a place where people are uninterested in it. 
And one of the things I've always appreciated about Wall Ridge is it's a place where people, by and large, are uninterested in drama. Say, preacher, ain't you ever had dramatic people? Sure. And they usually leave because they get bored. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth, Larry. I mean, this ain't, it's, it is funny, but I ain't even just being funny. I mean, it's true. Dramatic people, a lot of times they just leave because they get bored because they try to behave dramatically and other people look at them like they got a third eye growing out of their forehead. You know, like, what are you doing? You know, the truth of the matter is, when you allow drama into your life, when you make your life conducive to it, it will gravitate towards you. It will find you. There are people that thrive in that environment. And guess what they're looking for? they got a personal ad out in the classifieds. They're looking for other people that love drama. This is the reason, by the way, this isn't part of our message, but this is the reason that, that it says in verse 23 of this chapter, the north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. This is a biblical principle. If you plant, listen, don't be surprised if you, well, let's just preach a little bit. Don't be surprised if you, if you, if you turn up the ground of your life, if you go out and disc it and till it and sow it down and fertilize it for drama, don't be surprised if somebody walks by and plants some there. But if you make your life unconducive to that, if you don't give room for it to grow there, then oftentimes it don't find no place there. I'd say this, it's it's a dangerous place. But finally, and I'm done, it's a disgraceful place. Man, it's so sad. I, that's one of the, the, there was a time I wanted to see Europe. I remember that. Now it has been completely overrun by the third world and savages. And you say, preacher, oh, that's so ugly and that's not. No, like they're burning down like statutes. And I'm not saying that they are ethnically savage. I'm saying they are culturally savage. They're trying to destroy everything that has been beautiful about civilization. And it don't, listen, it don't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. I don't want you burning down civilization. It's, I don't want that. It's happening here in our country as well. Uh, but there was a time I wanted to see Europe. I thought, man, that'd be beautiful to see all that. See what now? What are you going to see now? There's nothing there anymore. They've, they've dragged it all into the sea and destroyed it. And when you think about some of those great cities that existed and all the beautiful architecture and statues and things like that, and now so many of them are reduced to just rubble, just gray wasteland and nothing else. You say, preacher, what do you think? I think it's disgraceful. It's sad. It's tragic to see it. You know why two things? One, it has failed in its purpose. What's the purpose of a city? Well, to be productive, to provide refuge, to be a base through which fruitfulness can spread out and, and affect the lives of others. Kind of like the life of a Christian, right? To be a place of refuge, of fruitfulness, a place where, where other lives can be reached out to and touched and affect and change. But you see, when, when you have no mastery over your own spirit, you have failed in that purpose. Not only have you failed in your purpose, but one of the real sad things, you look at some of these cities that have been destroyed, is they failed in their potential. Imagine how much farther ahead we'd be as a society if we'd quit burning things down. Imagine how much farther we'd be ahead in some of our cities if we'd quit burning them down. If we would quit ceding them to homeless hordes of people and, and allowing folks to burn it down and destroy everything. Imagine how much further ahead we'd be in our society if we didn't allow that to happen, you say, oh, preacher, you're so cruel and controversial and everything. And yeah, I'm real cool like that. I'm going to start a podcast, I guess. Imagine how much farther you'd be in your Christian walk if you get mastery of your own spirit. 
So you see, something's going to run you. Somebody's going to run you. It's just a question of who. I tell you this, you say, oh, preacher, what a sad thing it is for other people. No, not just for other people. What a sad thing it is for you. Imagine how much different your life could be if you had mastery over your own self. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. And if God has spoken to your heart, won't you find a place down here? And why don't you pray? Now, there could be a few reasons a person might pray. They might pray because they want to make sure that their spirit is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by coming to this altar, they might not be saying, well, I've got a problem with my temper. I've got a problem with anger. I've got a problem with my attitude. No, a person might just be coming to the altar saying, you know, Lord, I, I think I've got a right spirit, but I want to make sure that my spirit is right. Or it could be a person could come because God is dealing with them about that in their life. And they've allowed the flesh to have supremacy over them. And it'd be a good thing for you to come and bow the heart and the head and the knee before the Lord Jesus again and say, now, Lord, I want you to run me and not anything else. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.